morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7. And last time we looked at the need for maturity, the call to maturity, which was very important. And this time we're going to look at uh, why the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than the Aaronic priesthood. Some of you are looking at me like, what? What did you just say? But this is actually a pretty difficult portion of scripture. And it's going to start off a little, little difficult, especially if you're not familiar with the Old Testament and things that led up to the Messiah and some of the prophecies. But I'm going to try to make it very digestible, and you can tell me after service if I did a good job or not. It's going to go from a little bit difficult, because where we are in the scripture, too easy, I believe. It's too easy to understand why we believe what we believe. Uh, we're going to look at how Christ fulfilled the priesthood, what the priesthood really means. And at the end, we're really going to look at the nuts and bolts of John 3.16. So God, any time, any tribe, any nation, any can come to Jesus Christ, believe in him and his sacrifice for my sins at the cross, and I'm saved. Well, that sounds like an oversimplification. Well, it is very simple. But we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of how you get to John 3.16, how that actually makes sense, how God can do this without just kind of you know, abolishing everything he had set forth before and abolishing his justice. So I think you'll be, you'll be very pleased as, as we come to the, the conclusion of this. So starting in verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils or the plunder. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, although they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Anybody confused? <laughs> okay, so let's start out with, this is the, the description and the superiority of Melchizedek. Now, the author of Hebrews in chapter 5 touches on Melchizedek, reiterates Christ in the order of Melchizedek, and here gives greater details in chapter 7. What we have to understand is we have to go back into the Old Testament in Genesis 14. So Abraham, he's, he's, he's given the promises by God. You're going to inherit so many blessings, you know, all these, all these kind of things. Well, his nephew Lot goes out to, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah area, sets up, you know, shop there. And these confederation of kings come and they attack where, where Lot is. They attack the people, they take captives. Lot is kidnapped. All the plunder is taken by this confederation of kings. Abraham hears about it. He arms his 300 plus servants. These guys were well versed in a lot of things, farming, fighting, 
So he arms them and he goes and he attacks the confederation of kings that attacked the cities who took Lot. So Abraham, of course, is victorious. He frees Lot. He replunders the plunderers and he comes back with all these spoils. And on the way back, he's met by this mysterious guy, Melchizedek. And so much honor is given to Melchizedek. And we don't hear a whole lot in Genesis 14, but then Melchizedek reappears under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 110. And now he reappears again. For the following reasons, I think Melchizedek is a Christophany, and you don't have to agree with me. I will tell you when the scripture is the scripture, and I will tell you when it's Pastor Joe's opinion. Now this is going to be a mind bender, because he's speaking about the past, the future, the present. He's going all over the place, and this is what a lot of biblical prophecy is about. God sees outside of time to him, it's not confusing. He looks down and he sees time, past, present, future. For us, depending on where standing, it can be confusing to us. But a Christophany is, we, we kind of focus on the babe in the manger during Christmas. Fully God, fully man, comes down, takes the form of a human being, right? He grows up and he dies for our sins. But remember, he existed eternally before he took the form of that babe in the manger. So a Christophany is where in the Old Testament, mysterious figures show up. They have supernatural powers. They're superhuman. And Bible scholars attribute that to a a, a appearance of Christ before he ends up as the... Remember, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Right? He's, God has appeared to people. God has sent angels to appear to people. So in, in, in the Old Testament, it's pretty fantastic to go through this stuff. So he's, here's the following reasons I'm going to make my case, and it's all going to explain the first ten verses that we read. Number one, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Well, I certainly don't deserve that title. I don't know about you. He's also known as King of Salem or King of Peace. Right, these are major titles for a mere man. Now check this out too, that Melchizedek was not king of a geography. He wasn't Melchizedek, King of the Hills, King of Tyre, King of Siren, King of Syria. He was king not of geography, but of unattainable concepts for mere men to achieve. So that's the first point. Second point, Melchizedek was a priest and a king. You didn't see this in the Old Testament. There was a separation of powers, so to speak, and I believe God this, did this on purpose so that men wouldn't be too, you know, because of our sin, we become corrupt as human beings, but imagine giving a man too much power. As a matter of fact, you see the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our government, probably most likely taken from the scripture to separate the powers of powerful men and women so that they didn't come into together as collusion and be too corrupted. So God separated the priesthood from the kings. Imagine a king who is also a priest. He's got authority over the people, and then he just can walk into the temple and uh, officiate over spiritual things. So you didn't see that. As a matter of fact, if you remember King Uzziah, who was a very popular king, the Bible says he got lifted up with pride. He walks into the temple and starts officiating. The priest withstand him and say, get out of here. You don't belong in here. And God strikes him with leprosy because of his sin of pride. So there was no mixing. But here, Melchizedek is a king and a priest. Right? I'm, building a good, I'm a good investigator. I've been doing this for a while. I'm building a case here for you. Number three, Abraham gives a tenth part of all whore, or he tithes to Melchizedek. Pastor Joe, what, is the, what does tithe mean? Well, tithe just means a tenth. It started in the Old Testament. 
when the priests or the ministers would, or, and, it, and they would teach and they would minister, well, they, they didn't go out and get a job. So the people got together and the law said that they had to give a tenth of what they had to support the ministry. However, Abraham, now this is the, the, the wild part, in his loins or in his DNA or in his seed, eventually was going to become the Levites. In other words, it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Levi was one of those sons. Through Levi's descendants, we're doing the genealogy here in the family tree. Through Levi's descendants, you had the priests. So technically, in Abraham's loins, as we read, in his DNA, eventually he was going to father the priesthood. So in in an unusual move, the priesthood via Abraham, is tithing to Melchizedek when the priests are supposed to receive tithes. Got that? A little little back and forth with history here, or time. The fourth point, Abraham of the promise was blessed. Abraham was one of the greatest men that ever lived, especially in his time. He had so many promises. He had so much responsibility. However, he's blessed by Melchizedek. And the Bible says that there's a principle of the greater blessing the lesser. So in a sense, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and the priestly line. Now what does the Bible tell us as well? Melchizedek brings bread and wine, which is a symbol of communion. Okay? Fifth point. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy with no beginning of days, no end of life, but like the Son of God. Now, if this is not a Christophany, then the adulation he receives is very and dangerously close to blasphemy, my opinion. So, let's move on. Verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? I I might not have made that clear when I was doing my little genealogy tree. Levi, his children, eventually comes Aaron. So the Aaronic priesthood. So I just want to make that connection for you. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which, which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and yet it is far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, then there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, and this is where Psalm 110 is quoted, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So this is the imperfection of the Aaronic priesthood and why, and really the law, because they're tied together, and why we look to Why is it so important that Jesus was of this Melchizedekian order and not the order of Aaron? The law was imperfect. It had a limited application. Its design was to reveal sin. 
not to fix anybody. Law didn't fix anybody. I could read the law all day long and then come to the conclusion, I'm a pathetic creature. I need a savior to save me from my sins. But I couldn't hold the law or eat the law or put it under my pillow or rub it on me like soap and it would make Joe DeProsmo better. It doesn't work like that. It's only designation is to reveal sin. And also to point, right, to show us the hopelessness of our condition, to point to something greater as a remedy for that sin. Now, what I want to do is I want to throw up on the screen. I don't want to throw up. I want to throw up on the screen. (laughs) I'm not that nervous. Uh, Galatians 3, 18 through 25. Try to get your attention. Anybody's starting to snooze on me. Galatians 3, 18 through 25. Let's turn there. Now, this is how the Holy Spirit works. I had done my message, and I was working Wednesday night, and uh, Christine gave me Pastor Vinny's CD on what he taught on Romans, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, I'm going to use that scripture. So for those of you who were here Wednesday night, now you're going to get a double dose of Galatians 3, 18 through 25. So let's jump in. The Apostle Paul speaking here. He says, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come, seed meaning the Christ, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, if the law can't do these things, if the law can't bring us to completion, if the law isn't the promise... So what do we need the law for? Then is the law antagonistic? No, God ordained. He set forth. He officiated the law. Certainly not. For for if there had been a law given which could have given life, salvation, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Why would we need Jesus if the law could, could fix us? We just covered. It can't fix us. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor or schoolmaster, right? A tutor or guardian to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You see, it, it almost is like when you're, you're in traffic and all of a sudden, you know, the police want to funnel you somewhere and they start putting these cones out and four lanes goes to three to two to one to, to the shoulder. They're, they're bringing you somewhere so that something bad doesn't happen to you. Well, it's the same situation. The law funneled us. It merged us. It, it directed us, but it couldn't help us. If the law could speak, it could say, I can't do this for you. But I'm going to bring you somewhere to somebody who can give you salvation, who can give you life. It's pretty neat, huh? So the priesthood, the law, not perfect. The other problem was the priest died. The priest dies, one of his sons got to have to take his place. You know, we were, you know, even the priests, they weren't sinless either. Because of their sin, they also died. So there had to be this ongoing replacement of priests until... This once and for all act by Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, he came according to the power of an endless life. He's eternal. Now the Hebrew Christians, let's go back to the the book or the letter. Why was it written? Well, the Hebrew Christians were tempted because of persecution and other factors to go back to this tutorial system. 
However, the writer of Hebrews is saying you can't do that. You can't go back. And the people today, they, they dilly-dally with their faith. Christianity is not a game. It isn't a, a, you pick Christianity today, you pick Buddhism tomorrow, you, you go to Islam the next day. This is, when, you, when you're perfected, there's no reason to go back to anything. Understand that. I do want to give a visual demonstration of how we can't go back to something that brings us to a certain place. This thing barely fit behind the pulpit. I love doing visual demonstrations. <laughs> this is a baby walker. And this helps a toddler to get to the point where they can walk. They get to the point where they can stand, where they can balance. I actually talked to my wife uh, about this illustration and I said, I'm going to show how this baby walker helps to strengthen the baby so that they can walk. And she said, no, it's not. It's to give moms a break. <laughs> I'm like, Heather, you're ruining my illustration. <laughs> but what does this do? It has wheels. It, it has a seat. It has things where the baby can play, the toddler. What happens is the baby has an undeveloped vestibule in the inner ear undeveloped semicircular canals that go in three directions. Just evolution happened by chance, you know? Length, width, depth, all three uh, aspects of the, of the world that we live in. Baby has an undeveloped brain. Baby has undeveloped leg muscles and core muscles. So what this does is it helps this child, and, and the child doesn't even know it, get to a certain point where you can take the child out and say, you can walk. Look at you. You can dance. You can do pirouettes. You can be a ballerina. You can be whatever you want. But this helped you to get that, to that maturity. Now that child, for the rest of its life, becomes an adult, never goes, goes back to this baby walker. As a matter of fact, it could be detrimental. Now if Pastor Joe tried to demonstrate how he was going to get into this baby walker, <laughs> you would watch Pastor Joe break his neck. So it's, it's very detrimental to me and to anybody else who would try to get into it. So I'm actually going to leave it here because we may refer back to the walker again. But I think that's a really good illustration. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or my weird brain. I'm like, Lord, give me a good illustration. Baby walker. Oh, that was great. I don't know. <laughs> Simple stuff, right? So this is what we're looking at. If we go back to the law, we're condemned by the law and can only ta uh, well, taste and accept and receive eternal judgment for our sins. As a matter of fact, Ray Comfort, many of you know him, Ray Comfort Ministries, he uses the law a lot to people on the street to bring them to the, to the knowledge that they need a savior. All right. So let's look at this priesthood one more time. I want to do this in a linear fashion. I like to hit it from different angles. So you have Melchizedek in Genesis. He had no beginning of days. He had no ge genealogy. You could say if he really was a Christophany, he had no beginning. So God had set up this Melchizedekian priesthood. Then you have, you know, the, the order of men or the order, the order of humankind, so to speak. You have this sin problem. So he takes the Aaronic priesthood under the sons, you know, Aaron and his sons. 
And he sets up this priesthood, limited time, limited application. Why? Because of the problem of sin, so that we could be reconciled to our God. Then we go back to, or we go forward to the last part, because there's no more Aaronic priesthood, is there? We're back into the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, as the one who is in the order of Melchizedek, saves us forever to the uttermost, and we'll get to that part. So you can see this timeline. Verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, again, Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. God doesn't change his mind. He always makes the decision right the first time. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek with an oath. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. So we look at the Aaronic priesthood. We contrast it with the Melchizedek, Melchizedekian priesthood. I've got to say that a few times. Quoting Psalm 110, the father swore with an unalterable oath to Christ's eternal priesthood. Now, through this, Christ has become a surety, the Bible says. Another word, a guarantor, similar to a bail bondsman who is going to assure that that person shows up for court. And if that person disappears, he sends his agents to find them. But he is a guarantor to the courts that that person will show up at court. Because of what Christ did for us, he can guarantee a better covenant. Now, I'm not going to get into the better covenant this morning because that's going to be covered in chapter 8. And if you have friends who are Jewish, I would certainly encourage you to bring them because we're going to really hit Jeremiah's scripture. I love this portion of scripture, Jeremiah, to prove that God was going to have a new testament or a new covenant. Really gets you thinking. Verse 23. So I'm going to table that. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Again, the contrast between the temporary, the imperfect priesthood versus the durable, the eternal, the permanent priesthood in Jesus Christ. 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them and for us. He's able to save to the uttermost or to the entire. Did you ever wonder about heaven, eternity? I, I sometimes delve into this and then I have to get out quickly because I get all pretzeled up in my brain. You know, we're hanging out in heaven and it's eternity and does God say, I want all my saints to meet me tomorrow morning at 8 a.m.? Well, we don't sleep. We don't have to sleep. And the light, we don't turn the light off because his light gives us the light to understand. And there's no clocks because we're in eternity. Chew on that for a little bit. However, God makes eternal promises. Today, people try to get out of promises. They make a deal. They promise. They shake hands. Now we need lawyers for everything. People are just looking to get out of, you know, even marriage, unfortunately. It's a promise. It's an agreement, right? People looking to get out of it. However, the one thing I could think about in eternity is that there's no expiration date. Your milk expires. Your car warranty expires. The love of God that he has for you never expires. He's able to save to the uttermost. It transcends this world that we live in right now. He ever lives to make intercession for us, the Bible says. Now, out of all the things that the Lord could be doing in heaven, 
There's got to be a lot of things that he could really be focusing on. According to the scripture, you know what he's focused on? He's focused on you. He's focused on Harold. He's focused on Tony up there, Melissa, Doris. He's focused on you. Isn't that amazing? The Bible takes great pains to tell us what God is doing in heaven and what he's thinking and what, what's up with him. And he's focused on us. It's not just here. For all of eternity. So what did you come here this morning with? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling forgotten? Are you feeling you did something that the Lord could never forgive you for? You feel like you're walking around with a black cloud over your head. Forget about it. As a matter of fact, the black clouds bring rain. We need rain, right? God is focused on you. What are you repining for? What are you longing for? Well, the Lord has the answers. And I'll tell you what, because of this scripture, that's why Hebrews 4.16 can constantly come into our lives. Let me read it again. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is possible anytime. Midnight, open my eyes. It's dark. Lord, you still there? He still heard me. Three in the morning. Lord, you still there? He's still there. Everything I says, he, he, he takes it. Every complaint, every uh, crying out, every difficulty, the Lord takes note of that. This scripture is possible because Jesus saved us to the uttermost from here and beyond. Verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who was holy, harmless, or innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, once and for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever." Again, great dichotomy between the earthly high priests, and they were good men for the most part. We, there were some issues in the Bible of some that were not. And Christ is our high priest. The earthly high priests were fallible. They were sinful. They had to make sacrifices for themselves as well as for the people because of their own sin. Heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, sinless, clean, innocent. Check this out. He didn't need to offer sacrifices for his sins because he had none. But he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins because our sins would have condemned us. Let me say that again. He didn't need to offer sacrifices for his sins because he had none. But he offered, not lambs and goats, he offered himself on the altar. He offered himself on the cross. He bled willingly. He went to that cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Otherwise, our sins would have condemned us. Keep that in mind. Let's just go through a few ramifications and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Number one, since Christ's sacrifice as a priest once and for all, you know what? Now this might not sit well with some. The order of men called priests today is obsolete. There's no need for priesthood. And, and plenty of Christian religions have priests. But in the essence of offering something up for God or being a mediator, we're going to cover that. We don't need that anymore. We can go right to the Lord. Why go back to the priesthood? Why go back to the walker? I can walk. That's only going to hurt me and make me look really silly, so I'm not getting in it. 
I've moved on past that walker. I've moved on to perfection. Not my perfection, but the perfection in Christ. Let me read 1 Timothy 2.5 for you. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What I love about this is that you ever go before, maybe you ever have an argument with somebody, there's some type of impasse, uh, maybe an argument with even a company or a car dealership, and there's some type of mediation. And then they tell you who the mediator is. And you get a little nervous. And you say to yourself, I don't know if they're going to accurately represent me. I think the fix is in before I even walk into that room. You know what's really cool about Jesus Christ? He was fully God. So he was representing the Father and his interest and his concern. He was also fully man. So he was representing our interest. He lived as a man. The curse of sin came under the man. So under man, it had to be remedied. That's why Jesus, among many other reasons, had to come to this earth and die as a man. So I can rest assured, whenever I really blow it in life, that I'm being accurately represented. Now, on the earth, I don't think that always happens. Sometimes it still doesn't. It's still not fair. But I know from my Lord Jesus Christ, he was fully man and fully God, so he has both of our interests at heart. Amen. 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 Number two, because of Christ's sacrifice, we never have to put our full trust in spiritual men again. Remember the story about Eli's sons? They were promiscuous sexually. They were taking advantage of the women. They were stealing. And God eventually had to judge them and their father for not doing anything and disciplining them. Scandals today destroy the trust of the innocent. You want to see me get mad? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when I read about these scandals about kids and the stuff that happens in the name of God, I get furious blood-boiling furious. Most things I, I could care less. People do things, they hurt me, whatever. They don't, don't pay me back something. I don't really care. But when I, I, I find out about these things, it really bothers me, whether it be priests or rabbis or pastors. It's reprehensible. It's loathsome. And the worst thing is that when there's a cover-up and they don't take these men and, and let them face ju judgment and justice in, in the legal system, it causes me to be very angry. And I'll tell you what, on the East Coast, if you've come from out West or you come from another state and you came to New Jersey um, and you don't have trust issues, get some. <laughs> because it's how we roll on the East Coast. It's difficult here. <laughs> I guess you agree with me. <laughs> but when it comes to God, you can pull, you put your full trust in Him. You can put your full trust in him. You can let down the guards, let down the force fields, put the turrets away, don't dump the hot oil, open the gate, put the moat down. God, just open your heart because you can trust him. He's not going to let you down like a man will or a woman will. You, you, you can trust him. You can share your dreams with him. You can reveal your fears to him. He knows them anyway. You can make yourself vulnerable. That's a dirty word in this area. Vulnerable. I'll never make myself vulnerable. Make yourself vulnerable to the Lord. You'll never regret it. Third point. This brings us to Jesus plus theology. Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished. We need nothing else to add, plus sign, for our salvation. But religion tries to make itself relevant 
by living in the pluses. Oh, Jesus, we love Jesus. We worship Jesus. But you, you have to do this too. And you have to do that too. And you, here's a list of all the things you have to do. It's a burden. It's pharisaical. Jesus plus, no. That's why we reject religion for a direct relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ saves, not religion. Christ gets us into heaven, not religion. Christ saves us to the end and then beyond into eternity, not religion. And lastly, if you're struggling a little bit with some of the doctrinal issues here and you're getting a little bit of a headache, don't worry, there won't be a test. But let me just say this. And this is where we're going to end it. This is what I had spoken about from the beginning, the nuts and bolts of John 3.16. It's a great scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, anybody sitting here, whatever you've done in your past, it doesn't matter. Whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. To some, it's oversimplistic. Well, here's the nuts and bolts of that. This is why John 3.16 makes sense. You know, when I, when I get in a brand new car and I turn the key and I put my foot on the gas and it goes, I love it. But this is awesome. I, sometimes I don't really even care why it goes. It just goes. It's reliable. But the nuts and bolts are the electrical schematic that makes the spark in the cylinders. The, the, the schematic of the, of the motor that makes the pistons go up and down and tied to the crankshaft and it turns and the torque is delivered to the transmission. And the transmission brings power to all four wheels and then the wheels are turning on the ground. So for some of us, we're just happy that the wheels are turning. For others of us, we want to know why the wheels turn, Daddy. Tell me why. This is the nuts and bolts of John 3.16. So as we close this morning, my desire, and I hope that I presented it well, is that we have a greater appreciation for what Jesus did to, for us and to us. That maybe we didn't care about the nuts and bolts. Maybe we just cared about John 3.16. But as we read this, I have a greater appreciation. You know, there was some thought that went into this. There was some planning. The father, the son, they had this great plan. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we just can't be good. Because we can't be holy. So God says, you know what? I'm not going to wipe them out. I'm going to do this and this and this. And these are going to, all these things are going to, the perfect storm, salvation for everyone. Everyone. Where do you get a better deal than that? So this morning, thank God for what he's done, and uh, I just pray that we have a greater understanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we love you. We love your word. We know that some of us are just satisfied with John 3.16.